Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Did you hear Alan age himself today talking about the junior hires? Yeah, yeah, you didn't catch it, did you? Because you're age two, right? <laughs> That's how it works. Middle schoolers. We have middle schoolers anymore. No junior hires. Anyway, uh, a couple of quick announcements if I can remember what they are. One, uh, Cassie asked me to announce that they are still needing lots of help. The campus is for their root beer riot, correct? And the date of that is Saturday the 28th from what? From when to when? Seven. Come go to the Welcome Center if you want to help out. I'm sure they need people to start before seven to help prepare food and then help serve food well into the late night hours, well past my bedtime. Uh, also, uh, Aslan uh, has asked me to announce that Aslan is in the back right now. He's been in the back for weeks, months, maybe years, uh, handling the multimedia or the media for the children's ministry. And he has said, if anybody is interested in taking a turn, he hopes he's... That's an option. He's looking for five to six people to form a team, is what he told me. Okay, so don't think somebody else is going to do it. He needs to know it's a good idea, guys, so that way nobody is uh, missing out on, on what's going on out here every Sunday uh, for, for weeks and months on end. So if you need those things, uh, please feel free to contact Aslan. I asked Aslan, I said, do you want to contact you or Tim? And he said, yes. So it's good to see young people uh, learning how to how to take on responsibilities and growing into them, and uh, it's very exciting. Very exciting. Anyway, guys, this morning we have been talking about the truth about lies and how lies are the main deception of the enemy uh, of the enemy of the people of God. We call the devil. And that, that's what we saw from the beginning in Genesis 3. He just took the truth, twisted it a little bit, where God said, you eat this fruit, you will surely die. And the enemy said, oh, you surely won't die. And he just twisted it just enough to make it untrue. And uh, that that's the only real weapon that the enemy has. That he takes our natural desires, distorts them, and puts it in a place where those distorted desires are normalized within society. And we've seen that, we've, we've looked at a lot of these, and uh, this morning we're going to talk about one, as you can see in your notes, it's called, It's Not My Fault. Alright, and I'm going to switch that up on you in a minute. But when I think about It's Not My Fault, there's one song that comes to mind. You know what that is? Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. Okay, I aged myself, right? Some of the young people are going, What? And in the song about Margaritaville, is Margaritaville a real place, by the way, or is that just a place in the Caribbean you go to get plastered? A... Okay, it's a restaurant. Well, he's talking about being down in the Bahamas, the tropical area, and he's basically on a bender. He's getting drunk. He's drinking tequila, looking for his lost shaker of salt. And uh, you can tell he's he's like he's he just can't get out of this funk. And then in the, in the chorus he says, some people claim that there's a woman to blame. 
And the first time he sings it, he goes, but I know it's nobody's fault. And then the next time he comes around and he goes, they say, some people claim that it's a woman to blame. And he says, but you know, it could be my fault. And then the last time he sings it, he says, yeah, it's my fault. And guys, when I think about that, I think about that song because I love the progression. I mean, that's honestly the way we should go when we think about something not being our fault. Because if it's not our fault, usually what that means is not only do we not have any responsibility, but we don't have the solution either. And I believe that in our society, it's not my fault is a cry that is rang, rings out and is grabbed a hold of on far too often of a basis. Uh, we live in a world that says it's not your fault and there is someone to blame. Okay, do you believe that? Can you see that? I mean, this is what goes on in society today. You want to know, you know, there's a standard joke about I'm giving my kids something to talk about in therapy when they get older. You know, what are they doing? He goes, well, it's my, I know whatever I'm doing. <laughs> However they turn out, it's going to be my fault. And they're going to need to talk about it with a therapist later on. And guys, you, you name it, you can, you can blame it on somebody. That's what you want to do. You look at our Sue Happy Society. And, and years ago, I was doing a lesson here preparing for, uh, um, it was, it was a lesson called the Amer- about the American dream is what we were talking about. Don't remember all the context, but I remember researching about the American dream. And one of the things I found out, you know, the American dream, uh, historically has been you were able to, to get to a point, you know, to, to have a, a steady income, buy a house, have a comfortable living and retire. Something along those lines. No matter where you start, that is possible. And obviously you can go well beyond that in a number of situ- you know, in situations. But you know, the basic is you can, you don't have to scrape by. You can form a, have a comfortable living, own a house, retire. But in this, my research has said the American dream had changed. And you know what it had changed to? Who can I sue to get a lot of money? That's what it, and it showed statistics on this. You know, uh, where can I, who's at fault for where I'm at? Who can I blame? Who can I blame for my condition right now? I don't know about you. Do you find, do you find yourself having a, having a habit of blaming people? Who's your favorite person to blame? Do you have one? If you're married, I can probably guess. That used to be mine. It's just too easy of a target for me. And I don't mean she did everything wrong. I just mean she was closest. Okay? But who else do you blame? Your parents? You ever blame your parents? I've done that for where they, where you ended up. The mistakes your parents made. What about your employer? Does your employer treat you perfectly? And guys, we can go on and on. Uh, you know, your political party, a politician, your church, your church. Has anybody ever blamed your church for where you end up? We'll talk about that in a little bit, but anyway. Guys, you see, we find this lie or this excuse or this justification for where we are at 
We find it in Genesis chapter 3 and where we started talking about this series on the truth about lies. You see, what happens in Genesis chapter 3, as you know, or you're probably familiar with, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, told them to tend to the garden, expand the garden, that they were going to co-rule with Him to represent Him in creation. He says, you can eat of every tree except this one, and if you eat this one, you're going to die. And it says the devil shows up and says, you will surely not die. And they end up eating of that fruit. And here's what happens. It says God shows up to walk with them in the cool of the evening. And He goes, Adam, or where are you at? And they finally say, well, we were hiding from you. He goes, well, because we were naked. We were ashamed. And he goes, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that fruit? And this is what Adam says. He says, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now I want to be very plain here. We're going to talk about this rather extensively in a minute. But he was right, you know. He was right. God gave him the woman. That's correct. And the woman gave him the fruit. That is correct also. But guys, notice how he's blaming his actions on the actions of somebody else. He says, it's not my fault that I ended up here. You see now guys, this lie is involved to, to, to take on a little bit different form where it doesn't even just take on people. And most of the lies we've talked about, at least this is what I've found, you found other sub-lies. And so I'm going to kind of expand this or restate it a little bit here. And this is what the lie I'm going to talk about a little bit more clearly. But if it's not my fault, it is that my circumstances limit my ability to follow Jesus. You ever felt that way? You ever felt that following Jesus is hard? It is a challenge. It challenges us to change. It challenges us to give up to things. The way Jesus said it is if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And that take up your cross means you need to die to yourself daily. That is a challenge for most of us. That does not come easy. And how easy would it be if we can, if we can just blame somebody else for it all the time? Or say, I could do more. I could do more to serve Jesus. I could do more to represent Jesus if, and you fill in the blank, if I didn't have to work so much. Okay? If my spouse was more godly. If I was healthier, and you fill in the, if I had more money. Guys, you fill in the blank. Because I've, 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 all, every one of these that I've looked at, I've chased, I've felt, I've blamed. And guys, I've, I've shared this before in my struggle with depression. One of the biggest things that, 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 that turned that around for me is realizing that Jesus not only expects me to be faithful at following Him no matter what my circumstances are, He enables me 
to follow Him in whatever circumstances I find myself in. Now, there's a passage that I didn't... Where did I do with it? Oh, here we go. It's not in your notes. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, that I just believe is, is huge uh, at giving us guidance in our walk with Jesus. And it says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And you see, guys, what he's saying there is, is very simply he, he, is that we're fighting lies. He calls them arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is truth. And these arguments and pretensions are the lies that we buy into. And he describes them as strongholds. And guys, I believe this is one, the blame game, and specifically blaming our circumstances and saying that they limit my ability to follow Jesus is an argument that is a lie. And you see, guys, the whole thing about it is, in this, in this passage, it tells us the antidote, if you will, to the lies, and that's the knowledge of God. It's truth. And so today, what I want to talk about is four Four truths that demolish this lie that I can blame my circumstances on limiting because they limit me in following Jesus. First truth, first truth is that I will answer for my life. Okay, back to Genesis 3, verses 8 through 11. I told you about this earlier, but we'll read it now. It says, Then the man and his wife. This is after they ate the fruit. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you? Not to eat from. You see, guys, here's the situation. In the same way that Adam and Eve had to answer face to face with God for their actions, every one of us are going to have to stand face to face with Jesus one day and answer for the life we've lived. That is the truth of the matter, and it's how did Adam's blame game work? How did that work for him? It didn't work at all. See, guys, I told you before, I've changed churches once in my whole life. The church I grew up going to, and then I moved to the church that this became. That the greater, that became, later became the Greater Alton Church. And when I left that church, I was making a statement that I think, the second church is better for me than the first church. And in doing so, I noticed differences. 
And in knowing, doing so also, you wanted to say, wow, if church number one had been like church number two, I would still be at church number one and I would be different already. I'd be blaming, correct? Now I want to tell you, and we'll, again, we'll talk about this. I would, I, I would have been right about some things about church number one. I was, but fortunately I realized something very, very quickly. When I come to the end of time and I'm standing before Jesus, I'm not going to get to blame the church I grew up going to. I'm standing before Jesus. And He's not asking me, hey, judge that church you grew up going to for me, would you? He's saying, I want to hear about you. I want to hear about your life. I want to hear about your actions. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 1, guys, this is what Peter says. He's telling the believers there, he says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that you were that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him so your faith and hope are in God. Guys, I love that. It says God judges each person's work. Each of us is going to have to stand. Matthew, if you want to go to Matthew 25, you see the exact same statement uh, thrown out there again. You see Matthew chapter 7. The same same type of thing. Each of us will stand before Jesus on our own to answer for what we've done. Number two, second truth that demolishes this lie is that I should focus on being righteous, not being right. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a main punch here, isn't it? You see, because that's what Adam did. You can argue with me if you want, but Adam was right. Did God give Adam the woman? Yes. Did the woman give Adam the fruit? Yes. Both true. Neither one's to blame. For Adam was, had a free choice, and his, why did Adam end up in the situation? Because he chose to follow instead of to lead. He chose to, 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 to listen to Eve's logic, shall we say? Instead of saying no and representing God. What He was charged to do. Guys, but He was right about it. That's the note there. Adam was right. See guys, another situation here. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. This is what it was. It says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sins 
and live for righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. See guys, here's the situation that He's playing out there. Jesus enabled us a path to live righteously by being, I don't want to say this, Jesus was right. You know that? When He was on the cross, He wasn't wrong. He was right. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. They had no, there was no justification, humanly or otherwise, for Him to be put to death. None. He did everything correctly. But He was willing to show us the path to die for our sins so that we could live for righteousness the same way. You see, guys, I say this because I believe this is, this is just too tempting. How many of you like being wrong? How many of you like people thinking you're wrong when you're right? How many of you fight back <laughs> when somebody tells you you're wrong and you know you're right? How many of you... Thanks, Nathan. Nathan's eager to confess back there. I guess you're going to raise your hand on this one too. <laughs> How many of you, after you fight back, realize you fighting back is not righteous? Yeah. How many fights in marriage go away? Go away if you just go, I'm happy to be wrong. What's that, dear? I thought she said something back there. <laughs> Makes it worse. That is correct. That is correct. Guys, you see, here's the deal. <clears throat> Which do you give more attention to? Being right or being righteous? Do you give more attention to being right? And, and, and guys, there's all kinds of ways to do that. I think one of the big ways that stands out is politically and socially right now. Okay? You are probably, if you're, if you're politically active and politically, uh, vocal, shall I say, on any level, you believe it's because whatever side you've chosen, you believe is right. Is that fair? Right now with COVID world, how many versions of right is there? Guys, I found a comedian. I gotta tell you about his name's Nate, Nate Bargetsy. Garget? Somebody, you watched him, haven't he? You started watching. You can find him on Netflix or YouTube. He's from Nashville, Tennessee. Hilarious. Completely clean. Not a little bit clean, completely clean. Okay, and he talks about after during COVID world, he says, I had friends that were on every extreme. He goes, I had friends that were over here living by themselves, wearing their masks, taking a shower because they were afraid they were going to get COVID from their hamster. 
Okay, and then he said he had people on the other side of the extreme, who other friends who, the way they were living, it was like somebody gave them the instructions to go out and see if you can get COVID. Because then he had people that swore, oh yeah, I had it. I had a fever Tuesday night in February for two hours. I had it. Says he had one friend who got it, who swears he had it in 2015. Says he was the first. But guys, how many, how many times, how many times over the last year and a half have you had a conversation, a discussion about what's really right? I don't care what it is. Masks, vaccines, vaccines. Is it real? Is it not real? And the focus is what you think is right. And I ask you to think about those conversations and the number of those conversations versus the number of conversations you've had about how does Jesus want me to act right now? How does Jesus want me to act? What if I'm right and you pick the topic and Jesus wants you to to act differently out of respect for the people in your lives who think differently? You see, guys, I just want to, I just think, I, I talk about that because I think it's such a clear example. Can I tell you, a lot of your stress will go away when you focus on being righteous and on representing our King as opposed to being right. Try it. I dare you. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Third truth is my, my circumstances are opportunities, not limitations. Guys, this is, this is huge. This is huge. See, guys, we look at circumstances and go, well, I guess I can't do anything. Can't do anything. You know, this person won't listen. This person won't change. Can't get my boss to whatever. Can't get my spouse to you fill in the blank. And we look, view them as limitations, not as opportunities. Guys, look at this in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now let me, let me ask you real quick, let me, before, before we read this, before we read this, let me ask you real quick, what circumstances in your life would you, if you could snap your fingers and they'd be different, what would they be? Think about it. Okay? Your health? Okay, your finances? Uh, your, your relationships? Whether it's just your friendships? Or your marriage, your marital status, if you're single. What circumstance would you like to have changed right now? I can tell you one for me, guys, is my health. Alright, I've told you guys I have a, a severe heat intolerance. We've had this several years, it's been going on for 12 years now. And I finally got a doctor to pay attention to me. Okay, after my third primary care physician that I went into, and uh, he did the normal, yeah, that happens, you get heat exhaustion, you know, drink plenty of fluids, wear light clothes, fans, you know, same thing. So finally I went back to him a second or third time and I said, can you, can you prescribe me an MRI of my brain, please? And he's, he said, well, and I told him before, and it's, now all of a sudden he wants to know more, why are you so serious about this? He did not prescribe me an MRI of my brain. 
I just got his attention with that one. That's what I led with. Um, I, uh, and so anyway, he called me back. Long story short, uh, they think I may have a condition called dysautonomia. Anybody familiar with that? No. I'm, I'm finding doctors aren't even familiar with this. But anyway, I'm going to a neuro- neurologist over in Fenton in October to, uh, he specializes in this condition. It, it, dysautonomia is a dysfunction of the automatic functions of the body. You know, normally like breathing. My daughter has a version of this, you know, where last week she's sitting watching a movie or doing something and her heart rate just shoots up to 120. And, it, and it's there for 15 or 20 minutes. I think it maybe went up to 140 once or twice in there. And then it, and then it just boom, turns off. And, it, and when it first dropped, it dropped to 45. Okay, that's, that's what dysautonomia is. You know, things that are just supposed to work in the background don't work. And mine happens to be body temperature regulation. Okay, I would love to see that just go away. What's yours? What is your situation where you look at? I want you to think about that as we read this. Okay? Because he's going to be talking about fiery trials or, or ordeals, and I want you to think about your situation. It says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. <clears throat> if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, You are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So then those who are suffering according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now guys, in all honesty, he is probably, when you look at this passage, he is probably speaking specifically about persecution. He's not using a general difficult times like I'm talking about. However, I do believe it applies. In James chapter 1, it says that we should uh, consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Okay? In uh, Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we should endure hardship as discipline or training. You talked about that a few weeks back, didn't you? You did a good job, I remembered. It's one of my all-time favorite passages, by the way. Um, guys, I bring that up because I want to let you know Though he's talking specifically about, or I believe he is, about persecution here, I believe the response is the same. How many of you consider those circumstances that you are in right now a reason to jump for joy? Well, that's what it says. It says, but we rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. How many of you, let me get, let me put it out there. How many of you have thanked God 
for the circumstances that you're thinking about right now, that you want changed. You know, I mean, I'll put it bluntly, you know, it's the old uh, the line from uh, the 70s movie, don't go see it, kids. Don't, don't look it up. I won't even tell you the name of it. Just I'll let the adults know. They'll know when I say the quote. Thank you, sir. May I please have another? Okay? How many of you look at your difficulties and go, thank you, God. Thank you for considering me faithful enough to put this in front of me. Thank you for allowing me this test of my faith. You see, guys, I'm going to guess not a lot of... Nobody raised their hand. And I'm going to guess not a lot of you would, even in honesty. Uh, and that is very normal. But you see, guys, when you're, if you're not thanking God for the circumstances you want changed, you're probably not seeing them as an opportunity. You're seeing them as a limitation. You're seeing them as a limitation. You see, guys, when you, when you have difficult, when you have difficult things come on you, and you see them as a limitation, what you're seeing is, I can't make, I can't represent Jesus the way I want to represent Jesus. And the problem with that is Jesus may want you to represent Him in a different way. He may represent, well, <laughs> He probably wants to represent you in a way that more accurately looks like Him. Is that fair to say? And guys, that's what our, 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 I'm gonna, we're gonna look at another passage that, that illustrates this. Uh, and let's just go on down and I'll talk about this at the same time. But in my fourth truth that we wanted to talk about is that God uses all circumstances. Okay, not just, not just persecution, not just anything. And this is the passage, this passage has been used for years, or at least the first verse says, and this is what it says, Romans 8, 28 and 29, it says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. You see, guys, the truth of the matter is this. This is what I've learned about me, and I think some of you might relate to this. I only do what I'm forced to do. For the most part. You know, I mean, the deep character changes. I like to think I'm pretty good. I like to think I'm, you know, I can put this being like Jesus on cruise control. You know, I've learned to be led by His Spirit. Everything's going fine. And usually what happens is I have some kind of a crisis, some kind of a difficulty, some kind of a hardship. And that hardship shows me, uh, no, not so much, Gary. Not so much. Or it says, hey, you know this one little area that you're happy just being a little bit like Jesus? I want you to be a whole lot more like Jesus. And guys, that's what, that's what these are talking about. You, we are supposed to be conformed to be like Jesus. How many of you found that these circumstances that you want to be changed, have they caused you to pray anymore than you were before the circumstances came in? Is that, that's normal, isn't it? Crisis leads to prayer, right? And what tends to happen after that crisis goes away? Or after the crisis has just went on so long 
that, you know, we just kind of get used to it. Guess this is just going to be the way it is. I've never met a Christian who said, yeah, I pray way too much. Have you heard that? Or even one that says, I think I pray the right amount. Every, every, every one of us says, I could pray more. Every one of us says that. And guys, that's what these things, that's what these circumstances create. They create opportunities for us to be the spiritual person, the godly person, a better representative of Jesus than what we are right now. See guys, I mentioned, I mentioned my health right now. And that is the big question. I'm, I, 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 I'm there. I accept it. By the way, if, if the, if the doctor does say, hey, this is what you got, you know what they, you know what they can do then? Nothing. I just have a name for it. I have a label for it. I'm, my, my wife got me on a Facebook page with people that have this or have been diagnosed with this. And, uh, it's a very helpful page. Okay. You, Susan uses these pages on a number of different topics related to health and they are, they're extremely good. But the first thing I noticed when I read it, she goes, what'd you think? So there's a whole lot of whining going on on that page. Why? Because it doesn't get better. People can manage you. It's going to help me manage the symptoms is what it's going to do. Okay? Help it from getting worse, but it's probably going to be here for the rest of my life, and it is extremely limiting this time of year uh, in the summer heat. I have a fantasy of living on the shores of Lake Superior for the summers. Okay? I'm hoping that that's where God wants me. And that's what He's trying to do here. I suspect He's more after me making changes of the way I serve Him here. And I can go on and on about this, guys, and how I'm trying to live my life differently, how I'm trying to respond to this the way it is. Because, guys, I desperately want to see it as an opportunity. See, right now, my first response is, well, I'm just out of commission for a lot of the summer. I don't feel like doing much of anything. Susan will agree with you. She can testify to this. I don't, I'm not sure that's going to represent Jesus right. I think when I'm not feeling well, instead of laying around, he's got something else for me to do. I need to figure out what that is. Because I believe there's an opportunity here. And guys, I believe this right now. Whatever circumstances that are in your life right now that you might be tempted to blame as a limitation for getting in the way of following Jesus more closely, is actually an opportunity. And you want to see it that. One thing I want to say here on that last point where he says he uses all circumstances to get you to be more like Jesus and to represent Him well. I don't know how many of you thought about this or not. But that includes the circumstances that you like. Okay? The ones that you're happy with. I am happy that, that, that God has led me out of installing auto glass and out of the heat and provided a, an income 
for myself uh, that allows me to not be in the summer heat. And that income happens to be greater than what it was in Autoglass. I'm happy with that. I'm not complaining. I don't want him to change that. Okay? But he want that, that too is an opportunity. That circumstance is an opportunity for me to represent him in a way that I could not before. I need to learn that as well. Guys, where are you at today? When you, when we talk about this, I mean, which do you see yourself on? And, you know, two extremes. Are you a blamer? Are you one that sees and takes advantage of opportunities? Sees your, your circumstances as opportunities and takes advantage of them to be more like Jesus. Where are you at in that process? And guys, my goal today is just hopefully get you to look at the lie that there's somebody else to blame and it's not your fault and that you are limited in your uh, following of Jesus, your serving of Jesus because of your circumstances and to say, okay, how am I doing here? Do I blame or do I take advantage of opportunities? Let's pray. Father, I do want to, I want to thank you for, for my life. And Father, I will begrudgingly sometimes thank you for the difficult times. Father, I thank you because I'm supposed to and because I intellectually acknowledge what's going on. Father, it's much rarer that I do that with joy in my heart. Father, I just want to pray right now that you as a group, Father, my desire for the Greater Alton Church is that we are people whose hearts are fully committed to being like Jesus in a dark world. Father, they were representing You in people's lives that people come to, to us and say what's different because of how we live, because of how we handle hard times, because of our joy level. Father, I believe, I ask that because I believe that's what Jesus wants. I believe that's Jesus' desire. Father, I want to ask right now that we can all grab a hold of that desire, that we can choose it in our heart. That's what we want also. Father, show us where we're believing the lies. And Father, I pray that You show us opportunities that we have. Father, let those limitations that we are blaming, that we are seeing as limitations and blaming, Father, spark our thinking to look for the opportunity. And it's the King's name we ask this. Amen.